1: Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health Podcast, and I have uh, Kevin Poilet. He's uh, the General Manager, North America, and VP Business Development at SOPHIA Genetics. It's spelled uh, S-O-P-H-I-A, Genetics. So, Kevin, thanks for coming. How are you doing today? Pleasure. Pleasure. Very nice.
2: How are you, Richard?
1: Good, good. Yeah, when I hear the name SOPHIA, I think of that uh, AI robot, but I guess uh, this SOPHIA Genetics is different, right?
2: It, it is. It is. Uh, Sophia. Actually, originally, Sophia in, in ancient Greek used to mean
1: wisdom. Um, and so mm-hmm. that,
2: that's where the name really, really comes from. Um, oh, okay. So
1: what's the premise of Sophia
2: Genetics? What do you guys do there? Sophia is offering a software as a service platform to democratize data-driven medicine. So. We have a few applications in a few different areas, and I'd say our flagship area is is in genomics. Today we've connected a bit more than 900 institutions around the world, nearly a thousand institutions that are sharing um, their genomic uh, profiles across the platform. So it means that an institution here in Boston is able to see when they're analyzing a profile how their profile compares to an institu- to a profile that might have been seen in institution in Buenos Aires or in or in Austin in or in or in Paris. So we're we're really
1: building a, a software as a service platform
2: to be able to access a global intelligence.
1: Yeah, that's great because I know various companies are trying to get a critical mass of you know let's say a hundred thousand people sequenced or fifty thousand and so you're connecting all these platforms. How? What does that mean? How many um, sequences are available in the total pool? Yeah. Today we've um,
2: we've looked at about a bit more than three hundred thousand profiles on a monthly basis. We see about fifteen thousand profiles um, that are being being analyzed through the platform. So this is. Probably one one of the largest consortium of of institutions looking looking at patients at the moment. More patients are being
1: diagnosed on a monthly basis than players like uh, like
2: Foundation Medicine that are quite quite well known in in this field as well.
1: Your platform um, again, it's able to pull data from many separate platforms. But what kind of analytical tools are layered on top of that? That mm-hmm. is unique to you, yeah. or is there is is your role just the aggregation, or what else do you do?
2: Yeah, yeah, it's a good it's a good question.
1: When you wanna leverage
2: on AI, it's very important to have very clean data and very structured data. And so when you look into into genomic information, very often there is a lot of noise into that data. So whenever we work with a new um, a new institution, a new a new lab that is doing clinical research, we'll go through a setup program with that lab that is quite extensive, where we will establish the performance of that particular lab and we will tailor our pipelines to the actual data that is generated by that platform or by that, by that institution based on reagents that they might be using or um, diseases that they might be looking into. So we standardize the way the data is generated across those different labs, across those different institutions, and that allows us to, um, to share that data. It allows people to look at, at data coming from a variety of places and, and being very comparable. Um, and, only, mm. and only because of that, we can, we can build tools on that data. And so one, one of the tools that we've built is our AI is seeing how people are interacting with that data. you are seeing, okay, well, certain variants are classified as benign. Some variants are classified as pathogenic. And from there is, um, is learning how to pre-classify similar type of variants. Um so it will it will suggest, okay, well, maybe those variants um are more likely to be pathogenic, and those variants are more likely to be benign. It makes it very easy for the user to test uh, to test additional profiles
1: are you' just looking at human genome or you're looking at viruses or other creatures
2: yeah. it's a it's a good question yeah we we look only at uh, at humans um at, at the moment and really focused on, on on the clinical research space.
1: Yeah, because if you're able to establish uh, data standardization and you're aggregating it from many sources, some other company or some other effort could take that and do the same thing for viruses or for plants or for whatever else they want to catalog. And you'd have all the infrastructure set up for them to do that probably much better than they are right now.
2: Yeah, no, that's, that's true. I think what is what is essential when when we're looking at at humors, and in particular to, today we do many, many many cancer uh samples you you want to be able to find an answer for each and every profile whereas when you're looking at plants or when you're doing research coming to um, to a solution is not is not as essential um you might be able to look with another plant or you know there's the 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 stakes are not as high as um as when, you, when you're looking at a cancer sample and you want to make sure that you're finding the causative mutations. And as such, to be able to recommend certain treatments for that patient.
1: What are some interesting correlations or findings that you're seeing in the data because you have access to so much of it?
2: So um, one of the interesting uh, things we, we saw with, when we were observing um, this uh, how our how AI was growing is that in particular uh, diseases, for example, in hereditary cancer, we realized that after we had seen 30,000 samples, our, our AI was 98% as good as uh, a human doing the pre-classification. It means that it's it's saving people a lot of time for the routine cases so, and letting them focus more on uh, on difficult cases.
1: Okay, so you, all right, so 98% in determining
2: what? In a, determining a sequ- that a particular sequence would would be pathogenic um, in a particular sample.
1: Oh, okay. So you're looking just at uh, the genome or you're looking at, um, you know, I mean, you're looking at DNA or RNA or you're looking at proteins or, you know, yeah. molecules, yeah. Or what are you looking at?
2: Yeah so we're really there to offer tools um for whatever labs are using at the moment for whatever is established in the field and so what we're seeing is that dna is very prevalent um so there is there's a lot of dna testing rna is starting we see quite a few labs starting to look at uh, at fusions and inversions with uh, with rna and so we've we've mostly been focusing on that, on those two applications
1: okay um all right. so you're able to tell again if uh a certain you know gene is associated with cancer it's an oncogene, I guess, and um what what kind of insights with the RNA? and the other uh, insights you're getting
2: yeah so i i think in in cancer so we have
1: we have two main in the genomic space we
2: you can look at um, Mendelian disorders or hereditary disorders or or oncology. In uh, in oncology, we we're going to associate certain treatments. Uh, we will be able to associate certain clinical trials. We will be able to give certain uh, some prognostic information based on um, on the variety of mutations that we'll find in in the profiles, be them from from DNA or from or from RNA. And if we if we look into Mendelian disorders, um, there we'll be able to see. Okay, well, this is the causative mutation. Um this is most likely the disease that the patient is suffering from based on uh, the genetic profiling that was done for, for that particular patient.
1: Yeah. Yeah, what about taking it further, though? I mean, does this tell you or give you any insights into how to assist with drug discovery or how to find um, you know, immunotherapies or other types of therapies for cancer?
2: So, yeah, def- definitely therapies it, w- it will recommend. Today we haven't we haven't done much uh, with respect to drug discovery. Uh, it's been mostly used really in the clinical research space that are they are mostly um, trying to diagnose um, certain certain samples immediately, right? Rather than than doing retrospective studies.
1: Okay. So what's what are some of the goals for the next year or two? Do you want to get to a million genomes on file, or what, what's the big goal?
2: Yeah. So as I mentioned, our flagship area is genomics,
1: but we, we started
2: now about six months ago. We we started to invest significantly in radiomics where we do the analysis of radiology images, um and we, we invest significantly in um in what we call trial matching. And so all of this is in line with our long-term vision of, of building data-driven medicine and of finding as many sources of data as possible about that characterize a particular patient so that you can say, okay, well, this um, this profile looks like so many other profiles we've seen around the world. Let's if we make it more more tangible. This profile looks like 50,000 other profiles we've seen that are very similar, a cluster. And out of that that cluster, 30% have had treatment combination A and B with outcome X. 40% have had treatment combination C and D with outcome Y. And so the oncologist. Has a lot more data in hand to be able to give a very precise uh, recommendation with uh, with outcomes.
1: So, um, any surprises about the prevalence of certain cancers or other conditions? Uh, I think um, at this stage of development, we
2: we reflect quite well what it, what is the prevalence of of different cancer types around the world. So, no particular surprises. I'd say um, I'd, I'd say there
1: no. Also, oh, the prevalence of certain conditions—does it seem to follow any pattern by country or by age or gender? or Are you seeing those those skewed in any of the conditions you're looking at? To be honest, I don't know. It, we're
2: quite sensitive to the way we use the data that that is being analyzed through the platform. Um, the, so we're originally a Swiss company based in based in Lausanne. Uh, we've now headquarters in Boston as well and so the, the data privacy is uh is very important to us and so we we can only use the data that has been shared through the platform for certain very well defined goals and so uh, we we haven't done that many that many studies of of that kind
1: okay so again what what is the uh the goal over the next year or two where you want to take things so we
2: we're, we're Seeing a phenomenal growth at the at the moment, uh, we're we're now seeing about 15,000 patients a month, and we're seeing that number grow at least 50% every every six months. So today, we're really trying to onboard as many institutions as possible to participate in uh, in this effort, because the if you look at Mendelian disorders, the diseases that we're studying are very rare, and so you need a very large set of profiles that are being shared across the, the community. If you wanna, if you wanna infer something, something smart for the particular uh, profile you're looking at at the moment. So today we're really in a phase where we're onboarding institutions and making um, making the community grow.
1: Any learnings that you're getting about the need to standardize data? Are you you know are you talking to companies that actually do the collection? Of the DNA and saying, hey, you know, don't forget to do this or to test that or to add this in, so that the standardization is easier or more complete. Yeah, it's a very
2: good question because it's something that is really underestimated in uh, in this industry. But I feel in most industries, that are they're speaking about uh, about big data and about about data collection. Um, pe- people don't don't realize how important it is to have to have standard and very clean data to be shared. So I think the way the way we've grown is by being exposed to a variety of institutions that were all giving us or had their own experience. And so we shared that experience from all our users across the community in terms of how to, how to generate the cleanest data. And, and today during our setup program, this is one of the essential parts of, of what we do is in making recommendations to, um, to our users. Into how they can tweak um, their lab to get the optimal data. If we speak about genomics, but but in a similar way about in um, in in radiomics, where di- different users are looking at the same um, images from the same patient over time, and not always structuring the data in similar ways. So it's very important to have tools that that structure um, the data, that make sure that they extract the tumor in a similar way for that same patient over time, no matter who is, uh, is looking at the image, so that that data can then be, be compared and so that you can have some, some intelligent findings on, on those
1: images. I would think as it relates to images, I mean, I've spoken to a few companies that are you know, increasing the, um, the quality of the images, the resolution, etc. Do you keep tabs on, You know, again, you're, you're getting data, but the quality and the nature of that data may change over time. And maybe if you communicate, you know, I'm sure you are, but if you communicate with some or all the data providers, you'll find ones out there that are advancing in certain ways. Maybe there's a new compression algorithm for it or, again, a higher resolution for an MRI or something.
2: Yeah. So in genomics, which is a field where we've been now for, for a few years, we have very close discussions with um, With some of the large reagent manufacturers, and we have partnerships with many with many of them, where we're feeding back some of that information, some some of the knowledge we gained in standardizing the data across so many labs. in radiology, we're having those discussions with large imaging uh, providers. We try, both in genomics and in radiomics, to start from, uh, from the raw data, so to not, to not have too many layers between us and, um, and the actual instruments. But we haven't, it, it's a very, the, the fields are moving at a different speed in terms of the machines that are generating the data between genomics and, uh, and radiomics. So we haven't had that much influence in, uh, in the radiology. Uh, field yet in in making sure the um, the MRIs or CT scans are are evolving in ways that would make it easier to standardize the data.
1: Yeah, I just figured if anyone's going to see it first, it would probably be yeah. you, because you yeah. you know yeah. again you're connected to all these uh, places that are doing this imaging. Yeah,
2: yeah you're right. Um, it's something it's something we should be we should be exploring uh, in in radiology.
1: Okay, well, very good. So, what's the best way for people to learn more about Sophia Genetics?
2: So we have a, um, a nice website it's uh, sophiagenetics.com, so s o p i h i a genetics.com uh, where you'll find um you'll find a lot of information and from there you can ask for us to to reach out as well for uh, for a chat or we're in, in most conferences um around the, around genomics or, or oncology both nationally but also also internationally we now have users i think in in over 70 countries so um, with a presence that, uh, that, reflects, that reflects that as well.
1: Okay. Well, very good. Well, Kevin, thanks for coming on the podcast. Ben. I really appreciate it. It's
2: my pleasure, Richard. Have, um, have a good afternoon.
0: You're listening to the Future Tech Health Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Until I reached age 40, I never realized the obvious, that we all have medical issues.